You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. For the ones who want an inside look at the vault. This is Views from Midstream. Now. Here's your host, Lonzo Wrightsell and Rob Brown. It is week five, ladies and gentlemen, and your Carolina Panthers set to host the 49ers of San Francisco, led by Jimmy Garoppolo. And you know we're going X's and O's and breaking it all down here on the Views from Mint Street podcast, your home for all the Carolina Panthers talk that you could possibly ever want or need in your life, I am Rob Brown, host of the Rob Brown Show, which airs from 9 to noon every weekday morning on the Fan Upstate in Greenville, South Carolina. And joining me, as always, my co-host here on this exceptional podcast we call Views from Mint Street, the great one, Lonzo Reitzel at the helm. And Zo, I, uh, you know, you are the king of positivity. You are the, 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 I should say the prince of positivity, I think. It's got a better ring to it. Either way, man, uh, I I need you to bring uh, some positivity into my life right now because I am uh, uninspired at the moment. I don't know, Rob. Let me talk like most fans right now that I've seen on the internet and talked to. The season's over. Yeah, I know. It's only four games. Yeah, I know. We're only one game out of first. Yeah, but the Panthers, they need to fire the coach. They need to fire the owner. They need to fire the GM. They need to fire the quarterback. They need to, come on, people. It's four games. It is four games. That's it. It's been four games. Yes, the Panthers are one and three, but it's only been four games. We got, you know, three-fourths of the season still to go. Plenty of time left to right the ship, to get everything going the way it needs to go. And this could very well be that week where we stop taking in water. I, uh, I would like to hope so. But of course, before we get into the steak Here and comes potato, the negativity. I mean, it ha- in fairness, it has been two minutes and five seconds. I put it off long enough. Or, as, right? Ro- or as Rob would like to say, reality. Correct. I am not a pessimist. I am a realist. Those are two very different things. Uh, Let's start with the reality that is the most unfortunate news that we have gotten this weekend. Jeremy Chin is on the injured reserve and will miss at the least the next four weeks. Jeremy Chin is out against San Francisco. He is out against the Los Angeles Rams on the road. He is out against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he is out against the Atlanta Falcons. We will see if that IR stint lasts longer than those four weeks, but we do know that the four weeks are a minimum for Jeremy Chin. And we talked about this on our show earlier this afternoon. So Jeremy Chin is very interesting right now because he has not showed up on the stat sheet on the roll call based on performance. But if you go back and you watch those games, Jeremy Chin is doing all the what I call invisible stats, right? The invisible stats are 
things that you don't do in a game that you do in a game that don't show up on a stat sheet. Invisible stats are locking down one side of the field. Invisible stats are filling up what was supposed to be the run gap and forcing the running back to the outside to create tackles for losses. Jeremy Chin has been a king of the invisible stats this year. He has been incredibly valuable, even if his additions to the defense don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. Losing him for four weeks, you can claim next man up. You can claim, well, you know, you got to have another guy fill in the gap. There's a reason you're the next man up and not the next man or not the man. Uh, This is a big blow, Lonzo, especially considering while here's your positivity, we're only a game out of the lead in the division right now. We are about to come up against a murderer's row of five games because after that Atlanta game, Cincinnati awaits us on the back end. We are entering the most difficult five games that any NFL team will have over the next five. And now we've got to do it without one of the most important leaders on the defense, the only side of the ball that's working right now. All that being said, I think it's easier to replace someone on the defensive side than it is on the offensive side because there's such a rotation there already. Uh, like when you're a nickel or, you know, like the rotation of the defensive line. So not saying there's not going to be a drop-off because obviously there is, but you're going to be able to put experienced people back there uh, to uh, to handle it. It's not like you're putting in a backup quarterback or you lost all your running backs or you lost all your receivers. I think it's different on the defensive side. Ordinarily, I would agree with that. Ordinarily, I would say, <clears throat> pardon me, that that's a good take. I got no issue with that. It's different with a guy like Jeremy Chin. And the reason it is different for a guy like Jeremy Chin is because Jeremy Chin is a guy who fills multiple roles with one jersey, right? He can drop back and play safety. He can step up and play attacking safety. He can play center field. He can play outside linebacker if you need him to. And I suspect we will against the San Francisco 49ers, and we'll talk about why coming up in just a few moments. It is one thing if a safety goes out. It's another thing if a linebacker goes out. It's another thing if a pass rush specialist goes out. Jeremy Chin is all of those things in in, in one player. So if you plug that guy in and you've got not only an incredibly athletic player, but an incredibly athletic player who can play multiple positions on the field, it gives you a versatility that guys in the backup role aren't going to give you, right? Because I put Chin on the field and I can drop him back into a cover high safety and turn a single high into a Tampa two. I can walk him up into an inside linebacker position and go one extra man zone across the line. I can walk him up and bring him off the edge and give an extra pass rusher that has success off the edge and free a linebacker spot up to drop back off in the zone. He is capable of doing so many different things that anytime Jeremy Chin is on the field, you can entirely change your offense just based on where you line him up and what assignment you give him. To not have that, it kind of locks us in to specific defenses. It kind of decreases the ability to change the defense and the look that we give that we give Jimmy G pre-snap. And that's why this is a bigger loss than if J.C. Horn went down. 
Yeah, don't you be saying that. Don't you put that bad mojo out there, Rob Brown. I don't like it either. I don't like it either, for the record. So you're going to see Marquise Blair. Uh, Blair is going to have to step up and fill that role. Marquise Blair is a new addition to the roster, just brought in, who is recognized so far for one tackle on the season. And he is going to have to do a lot of the yeoman's work to try to replace Jeremy Chin on the defense. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes when we dive into the X's and the O's of this game. The other thing that I wanted to talk about were the comments of Baker Mayfield and Ben McAdoo over the last 24 hours. Baker Mayfield, of course, took, I guess, heat for the comments that he made in the press conference after the game when he got asked, how do you feel about the fans booing you? And his response was, I don't care. I don't care, right? We got to do what we got to do. We got to fix what we got to fix. I don't care. Now, since then, Baker got back into the mix again. And he said, a lot of the problems that we are having on offense are my fault. A lot of the problems that we're having on offense are caused by me. He did take that ownership that a lot of people would like to see out of Baker Mayfield. Lonzo, I I really didn't have a problem with the comments Baker made in the postgame presser when he said, I don't care that people are booming. It didn't bother me at all that he said that. It shouldn't bother him. I can't have a starting quarterback who is influenced by the fans and their reaction even when the play is bad. But this is kind of the Baker we've gotten used to in Charlotte. There's no bravado. There's no cockiness. There's no arrogance. Baker looked at the situation. He realized that even if it's for a bad reason, his comments from Sunday were being taken negatively. So he came out and he said something that is more fan friendly, something that is more. uh, It's going to look nicer when a reporter jots that down into a newspaper. He's handled the blowback, which should not exist, but it does. He's handled the blowback as well as anybody else could have asked him to over the past 24 hours, I think. The, the thing is, though, you can say, oh, man, my bad, my fault. This is I, I know that a lot of this is me, but what are you going to do to fix it? And the other thing is, is he capable of fixing it? Because not all of these problems are his fault. Should he be more accurate? Absolutely, he should be. Should he hit some more open receivers? Absolutely, he should be. The offensive line is starting to play a whole lot better. They're starting to gel. The play calling still stinks and will continue to stink as long as Ben McAdoo is here. Uh, So you've got to find a way to work around that. You've got to find a way to maybe take a little more charge, and if you see a play that's being called is not a good one, audible out of it and get, get to a good one. A headspace that we know he's been in before because we've seen him on a bad Cleveland Browns team turn that thing around. No, not all entirely him, but a lot of it was him. Uh, turn that thing around and get them to the playoffs. He could do the same thing in Carolina. If Baker Mayfield plays to the potential that he has, that he's played in the past, how many games would Carolina have won this year? I mean, honestly, three and one, right? Like three and one. Genuinely, the three and one. They 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 theoretically could be four and zero oh because again, we didn't really fall off the cliff against Arizona until very late in the football game. So Cleveland's a win, New York's a win, New Orleans we did win, 
And if you put Arizona behind the eight ball going into the fourth, offensively speaking, they also have not been able to finish games. If we were 60% of that level, Lonzo, we'd be a 4-0 football team right now. Well, and there's a couple other players who could play better too, including receivers, because there were some drop balls that shouldn't have been dropped in every game, but that's they, that happens across football on every level. But yeah, if he plays just a little bit better, not, I, I, I don't know, what, 20% better, maybe 30% better, you got a better shot of winning those games because some of those yeah, well, the first two games came down to three points. You won, you won the third game, the fourth game, as you pointed out, in the third quarter, you got a shot at the thing. And uh, so find a way to get 20 30% better, and let's see what happens. All right. I am going now to transition us to the comments of Ben McAdoo. McAdoo was quoted by a couple of Panthers reporters on Twitter on Thursday as saying this, Lonzo. And in fact, let me let me go pull the direct quote because I I certainly want this to be an accurate reflection. Uh, Ben McAdoo said, quote, I was brought in here to make an impact, but it hasn't happened yet. End quote. I'm going to give you first crack at that. Really? It hasn't. Yeah, you're right. It hasn't happened yet. So that's all he said. There wasn't, it hasn't happened because of this. This is what I have to do better. I mean, you don't have to be completely detailed because you don't want to give the opposite the other team, you know, fuel to know what you're going to do. But I mean, point out some of the things that you've done wrong. Talk about some of the play calling, seeing not seeing defenses like you should, not using the running game like you should. Some things like that come out and take some accountability other than you were brought in to do something and you haven't done it. I think we all know that. Yeah, you know, yesterday on our show, we had a whole thing about a reporter asking a question of Nick Saban, and, and you said it was a dumb question because you already knew the answer to the question. And I think in, in retrospect, that's probably very fair Ben McAdoo saying I was brought here effectively to run a better offense than I'm doing. Like, yeah, we are aware of that. We know that now we want to see it get fixed. Now we want to see it get better. There is zero excuse for Christian, even from me, a guy that's like, Hey, don't run the tread off of CMC's tires too early is like, yeah, but I didn't mean hand him the ball eight times and run it 13 total in a whole game. That's that what I meant like at all. Yeah, we we should blame Rob for this. The reason why they didn't rub the ball, run the ball in the second half last week, it's it's all Rob Brown's fault. I would accept that if that wasn't the case in week one and two and three with a pair of back to back hundo games for Run CMC in the process. I would be more willing to accept that jovial bit of criticism. Uh, instead, I am going to say, yeah, Ben, we know. The question is. What are you going to do about it, right? What are you going to do about it? So what do the Panthers need to do to beat the 49ers? You're listening to the Views for Mid Street podcast. You're home for Carolina football talk across the interwebs. Rob Brown, Lonzo, right? So with it, do us a favor and make sure that if you're listening to this and you haven't already done it, that you subscribe to the Views for Mint Street podcast wherever major podcasts are found on iTunes, on Google Play, 
on Stitcher, on Spotify, on the Odyssey app for free by searching Views from Entry. And it turns out you can actually ask your smart speaker to play the Views from Mint Street podcast and your smart speaker will play the most recent episode for you. You don't even have to get out of your chair, ladies and gentlemen. We're just making life that much easier for you. All right, let's talk a little bit about Niners at Panthers. And let's take a look at who San Francisco is before we get there. Here are some numbers for you. San Francisco offensively, is one of the better running teams in the National Football League at 135.3 yards on the ground per game. That is good for ninth in the National Football League through four weeks. Where the San Francisco 49ers have not been exceptional is the same spot where we have been not exceptional. That is through the air. 189.3 yards through the air, and that right now, is good enough for 26th in the entire National Football League as it stands so far. So they are a team that can be taken advantage of by a ball-hawking defensive back. And I would certainly say that we have got some of those. They lost to the Bears back in week one. That was Justin Fields. Remember that game was in the rain. It was gross. It was sloppy. I don't hold that against them. They turned around and blew out the Seattle Seahawks by 20 in week two. They won that really ugly game, or excuse me, they lost that really ugly game to the Denver Broncos, uh, 11 to 10, the final score in week three. And then they blew out the LA Rams 24 to nine last Monday in a game that wasn't particularly close. This 49ers team though, just for the record, This 49ers team is predicated by their defense. Their defense is exceptional. Statistically speaking, defensively, they are the best team in the National Football League. They are allowing 234.5 yards per game. That is tied for best in the league. They are allowing less than 73 and a half rushing yards per game. That is second best in the league. They are allowing just 161.3 passing yards per game. Good for second best in the league. They have 15 sacks on the season, tied for second best in the league. They are allowing 32.7% of third down conversions, sixth in the league. They have six takeaways, good for 12th. They are allowing 11.5 points per game. That is the standalone best in the league right now. All it comes down to, Lonzo, and again, we'll talk X's and O's in a minute, but all it comes down to is the Panther offense must be better this weekend or this game could get very ugly very quickly. Yeah, you know, I'm hearing you reading all this, and and yeah, the stats are really good, but who'd they play? Who'd, who'd they really play? I I, I mean... Yeah, the Rams. So I, I, I get the Rams, but everybody else, chances are you play against those most NFL teams play against the, the teams that you mentioned, your stats are going to be pumped up. They absolutely are. So when you play some pretty bad teams and you do really well, what does it really say about your team? 
I think that that and argument... They didn't, they didn't do really well either. I think that that argument holds water more at the college level, right? Like, I've, I'm, I've got on in the background right now uh, the University of Florida playing Eastern Washington University, right? And Florida had a massive jump in statistics after that game because they were playing a team that just wasn't on their level. The National Football League, the parity, especially this year, and I read you those numbers a couple of uh, couple of pods ago. Those numbers this year in the NFL show that the parity is as good as it has been in about 14 years of National Football League play. I would make the argument that the Broncos are not a bad foot. They're not great. Oh, come on. Come, come on. The Broncos are horrible. Okay. They lost to the Broncos, and the Bears are not that good either. So they're, I'm not saying the Bears are good. So their their stats are that, their stats are inflated. They are. This San Francisco defense just and, and and I don't I don't use this argument very often because I don't love it right because I I, I think it is an argument but that is made by people who don't want to accept the reality about a team or the uh, the reality that maybe they're just not a good a gauge of a team as they like but I hate the phrase VI test but I'm going to use it here. The 49er defense passes the eye test like by a lot. I don't care if you play the Texans 17 times in a row. Keeping opposing offenses to less than 162 passing yards in the NFL where it is schemed to help quarterbacks get 200 yards a game, keeping every opposing offense you play to fewer than 161 passing yards per game, is a spectacular number that is is as of right now threatening to be historically good. I'm not saying it's going to be that way all season. I'm not saying that at the end of the year, they're still going to have this ridiculous number in terms of yards per game allowed through the air being the fewest in the league. But right now, four weeks into the season, we don't play them in week 17. We play them in week five. And in week five, this defense is uh, for San Francisco is exceptional so far. All right. So, yes, maybe exceptional. Here's the problem though. This is going to be more than likely a defensive game because Carolina's strong point is their defense. San Francisco's strong point is their defense. I still maintain that San Francisco has played an easy schedule and it makes makes them look better than what they are even though they've only won what two games? So, so they've won one game more than Carolina. I think we're so down on Carolina because, for one thing, we're rooting for them and we know they can do better, but it, it seems like they're worse than what they are and there's only been four games. That defense for San Francisco is going to be really good. Absolutely they are. But I don't think they're the bears from history. I don't think they're they're the Ravens from history. They're not the greatest defense of all time is what I'm saying. They are beatable. They are beatable. They barely beat Denver. I, uh, again, I, I think at the end of the year, you are going to be a little bit surprised by Denver, but that's a, that's another conversation for another pod right now. Um, Listen, there, there's there's only a few games this weekend that have uh, Vegas saying that one team is favored by six or better, and we are one of them at home 
a six and a half point underdog. Keep in mind that again, not for every game, but for many games, the home team is going to get three points by Vegas, meaning that they believe that the Niners are a full nine points of football, actually a full 10 points of football better than we are right now. And it's honestly, it's just hard for me to disagree with that. I don't want to, like, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good, but it just feels like that is different right now. Now, again, if we're going to talk about easy schedule, let's keep in mind who we play. We play the Browns without Deshaun Watson. We played the New York Giants, who are another 500 team. We played the New Orleans Saints, who are atrocious. And we played the Arizona Cardinals, who frankly ain't that good, right? So, so we haven't exactly played our murderer's row yet. That is literally starting this week. But if we're going by, well, the numbers are inflated based on uh, based on playing bad teams. Well, let's look at our defensive numbers then, shall we? Let's 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 keep that in contrast with what you just said. Total yards per game, 346. We're 18th in the league. Rushing yards per game, 134 a game. We're 25th in the league. Passing yards per game, 212. We are 12th in the league. Sacks, we have five. Good for 30th in the league. Third down efficiency, 39.1 third down efforts are uh, 39.1% of third down efforts are successful. 17th in the league. Takeaways, we have four of them. Tied for 21st in the league. Points per game, 21.3 good for 13th in the league. So if I follow your logic and go, yeah, their schedule made their stats inflated, well, then so does ours, and ours are very middle of the pack. And we both know our defense is better than those numbers suggest because our defense has had a lot asked of them, right? You go back last week, how many first downs did we have last week? Eight, seven, whatever it was. The defense is spending upwards of 60% of NFL play clock on the field They're freaking exhausted, but the numbers are what they are right now because if they're exhausted and the numbers come down, that's still representative of what this team is. We can't just discount that. All right. So I agree. I I agree with what you're saying, but so, so you're saying that Carolina is not very good and, and you're right. They're not very good at this moment, but San Francisco isn't that much better. That's my whole point. Yes. We both have, both teams have played not the greatest schedule. But San Francisco, you are, are, are putting them on a level of the better teams in the league, and they're not. That's all I'm saying. It's not like they're Kansas City or Philadelphia or, or any number of NFC teams that, that are right up there with like one loss. They're not those guys. They absolutely are not. Yes, they have a good defense. And they have Debo Samuel. That's it. Uh, For the record, we should be able to say they're a good defense and they have Christian McCaffrey and that's it. We ain't using CMC like they're using Debo. In fact, I go back to their Monday night game. I go back to that, was it a 57-yard screen pass for a touchdown to Debo? And I'm sitting there going, that play was incredibly well-designed. Right, That play was incredibly well-designed because they knew that Debo needed a bit of separation, but that if he got that separation, they trusted him to be able to beat, who was it, Jalen Ramsey, one-on-one on the outside. And he did. He did everything he was supposed to do. An exceptionally designed route for Debo, we ain't doing that. Well, I would give, for sure, San Francisco the advantage in coaching. With, without a doubt that they have the advantage in coaching. 
uh, because, as you just pointed out, they know who their best player is on offense, and they designed a play to get him the ball so he can do what he does. Uh, Carolina could, could do the same thing. When they do that, when they get the hands in the, uh, the ball in the hands of their playmakers, especially CMC, good things happen. All right, let's do this. Uh, I want to look at the offensive numbers just a little bit more, and then after that we'll flip over and talk about what we need to do on Sunday to pull the the upset here. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be lined up as RB1 for this team on Sunday. Jeff Jeff Wilson Jr., pardon me, is averaging four and a half yards per attempt. He's got 255 rushing yards on 57 attempts and just one touchdown. The run threat in this game is actually Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, is the guy. I'll put it this way. Red red zone conversions, they have got probably the most dangerous red red zone conversion team in the NFL. Between Debo, Juszczyk, and Kittle, they have got the most dangerous red zone conversion team, I believe, truly, in the entire National Football League right now we have to keep them away from the red zone. This, this has to be a team that you force into punts and you force into kicking field goals. They didn't get, they get inside the 10. They're going to score probably a 70, 72% clip. You can't let that happen, but you got to do that and be aware of Debo and the versatility. Now we have not seen the 49ers utilize him as a running back the way that they did last year. And that benefits us just a little bit. But the key to this, though, defensively, based on who they are as an offense, is going to be create pressure on Garoppolo, force Garoppolo to get rid of the ball earlier because that's when he makes his mistakes. The defensive front seven has been good the last few weeks, but they have to be great on Sunday. I think the game plan actually works the same for for both teams. Both teams have one focus on offense, uh, it, when they're on defense, so so the same works for the Panthers, that will work for for San Francisco. San Francisco just needs to shut down CMC and force Baker to throw. So Carolina, as you said, needs to shut down Debo if that's possible, and uh, force Garoppolo to throw. The defense has been able to do that a bunch. Last week, they were tired, as you pointed out, especially in that second half, where it was. I think, if I recall. It was two to one as far as time of possession goes. And because of that, they're out there way too long. And even if you have a good rotation, guys are for sure going to get tired. So it's gonna it's gonna come back on the offense whether they get time or not. I uh I don't think you can shut Debo down, but you can do some things that can Harry uh, you just gotta tackle him. You've got to make sure that you gang tackle whenever he catches the ball so he so he doesn't get that yard after catch thing and you've got to do what you pointed out you've got to put pressure on Garoppolo and uh, also uh, we don't do that very well we do it some when we do it we do it real well because if Frankie Lubu gets back in there and can create some havoc if if Derek Brown gets back there it, uh, we've got guys to do it it just only happens sporadically if they can do it continuously the Panthers have a shot
You're listening to the Views from Mint Street Podcast, your home for Carolina Panther football talk. Rob Brown, Lonzo Wright, so with you, based in Greenville, South Carolina, right in the heart of Panther country. Want to make sure that, again, if this is your first time checking out the pod, do us a favor. Go to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Views from Mint Street Podcast and download those as they drop. We drop a pod as we are doing on Fridays where we preview the weekend upcoming. We drop a pod on Monday, a review of the game in the rearview mirror. And then we drop a pod on Wednesday in our midweek edition. We take a look at injuries. We take a look at transactions. We take a look at press conferences, X's and O's, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure that you subscribe and download the views from Mint Street podcast. Glad to have those of you that have been listening consistently along for the ride and welcome to all the noobs. Now, let's take a look at our side of the football. Let's take a look at what we can and need to do across the offensive line. And, or excuse me, across the offense. And it starts with the offensive line as I get a little bit ahead of myself. How about this? Offensive line. First two weeks, bottom half of the National Football League when it came to grading them out using the PFF grades. Again, a part of the picture, not the whole picture, but an important part of it. In the last two weeks, just about everybody has gotten better. Carolina's offensive line has had all five starters play every offensive snap through week four. There are only a few teams that can say that. Amongst qualified guards with a a pass blocking grade, Austin Corbett ranks eighth in the league center Pat Elflin ranks 12th amongst qualified centers with a pass blocking grade of just a tick shy of 70 as an overall blocker Icky's first two weeks about a 48 on the PFF grade his last two weeks have been above 70 everybody on this offensive line have gotten better week by week by week by week and that is why there has been so much attention focused on the skill position players because the offensive line is doing its job right now, which is why I'm glad to hear Baker take ownership. I'm glad to hear Ben McAdoo take ownership. But at the end of the day, they have to take ownership because the one group of guys offensively that's getting the freaking job done, Lonzo, are the big boys up front. I will say uh, there's a little bit of negativity on the offensive line when it comes to head coach. Coach Rule said part of the problems for the batted down balls for Baker is that the line is blocking good, but they're not getting a push on their on their pass blocking that they need to push them off, push the defenders off a little bit more and engage them more so they can't jump. In other words, hold better and don't get caught because if you're holding the guy, he can't jump. I mean, that's, that's what I got out of it. I don't know if you got that, but it's just like, hey, you need to work on your hand strength. You need to get inside, get a good grip, and don't let these guys jump. Then the balls don't get batted down. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. I mean, you go back and you look at that J.J. Watts swat from last week that resulted in the INT that pretty much all but sealed the L for us. These guys are getting elevation, and, and, and I think you're spot on, right? It's like holding in the league as a whole. You're going to hear, if you watch any given football game, when they put an offensive lineman on the color commentary, they're going to tell you the same thing, which is 
Offensive linemen hold on every snap. Where it gets called is when those hands get caught outside of the numbers and are close, right? If you can get those hands on the shoulder pads, on the number, on the inside of the jersey, you can absolutely grab a fistful of fabric or shoulder pad, but because you have won the hand position battle, you're very rarely, if ever, going to get flagged for that. But, and I think you're spot on. The other thing it allows you to do is lean on that defensive lineman, lean on that defensive end, lean on that linebacker, and limit their movement, and that includes vertically. That includes not letting them get up in the air. Baker Mayfield last week had five tip footballs. That is tied for the most batted passes in an NFL game since that statistic has been recorded. Baker Mayfield leads the NFL in batted balls so far this season. That has to get fixed, and that is a part of it. But the other thing that can be done there is by understanding where the majority of those batted balls are coming from, which is off the defensive ends positions, and scheming around that, right? If you're going to run a tight end route, don't run it behind the defensive end. Run it somewhere else. Run it on a cut to the inside. Run it up the seam. Pick something else. Because when you're running guys behind tight ends, you get the threat of a tight end getting up, getting the mitt on the ball, and knocking it down. And, and it's it's that has got to stop. It is not an option. And oh, by the way, who's out there on the right defensive end position? Who's coming, not just from Baker's blind side, but from the side of the field that we have thrown to the tight end? Uh, Bosa, Nick Bosa, young Bosa is coming. Bosa is an excellent uh, pass blocking guy. He is an excellent, excellent uh, finder of the football and pass hunter. He will get up and knock a few down. We have to scheme around that. What can we do for that? We can do draws, screens, play actions, keep those guys very, very honest, but throw some out routes. Have your tight end avoid falling in behind the end. Throw some five and ends. Keep the linebackers locked into the middle of the field. Scheme could solve a lot of the problems, and I think, and I won't speak for Lonzo, but I can guesstimate that that's why he is so up in arms against Ben McAdoo right now because we have not changed anything while the offense hasn't been working, and that's a big part of it. Oh, without a doubt. And and one of the main things is uh, second-half adjustments. Coming out of halftime, I think Carolina has lost a couple games because the team across from them made adjustments and Carolina did not. So you go into halftime and, and you realize, okay, these are the things that we need to do to fix stuff and it seems like they come out of the halftime doing the same thing, and the other team has already figured out how to to uh, to make it look like what it looks like, pedestrian. And I think that comes back to coaching. And it may be all around coaching, but mostly it's the offensive coordinator. You've got to make those adjustments, and McAdoo is not doing that. I, um, you know, it, it, we talked about, we've talked about schemes. We've talked about, directions we've talked about ways that you can utilize the talent that we do have on the inside and the outside to take advantage and and they're all there and as we pointed out we just haven't done that uh let me go back to basics and i i hate saying this because it's one of those things that as a broadcaster when i say it it almost sounds like okay this guy didn't do his homework right this guy didn't dive into this game but lonzo run the football Run the football. 
Make them come to us. Make them stay honest across the front seven. Make them give you their attention at the line so that when you do drop Baker back to pass, their linebackers are concerned. They're not going anywhere. They're not falling off into coverage. Their defensive ends aren't able to just play the pass and get ready to jump up and, and try to Dikembe Mutombo us. Play the run to open up the pass. And again, I know that's cliche. It sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about here, and I hate that as a broadcaster, but sometimes the obvious solution is the right one. Sometimes the simple solution is the right one. 13 runs ain't going to do it. Throwing every time that it's third and one ain't going to do it. You've got Deontay Foreman on the sideline, a 200 and however many pound bowling ball of a back. Put him in the game. Don't just give him a carry. I know Chuba Hubbard's got a little case of the drops. He's on kickoff returns right now. He hasn't done it as a running back. Put him back there until he blows in. Utilize all the talent you have. Run the football and open up the field. We have got a mountain to climb for a chance to win in this game. But if you don't do that, it's just a waste of time on Sunday, in my opinion. One of the things that's bothered me the most uh, about Matt Rule in, in press conferences is is when he's asked why this guy didn't get to play, why this guy didn't get to play. And usually he's saying because we're, we're, we're going three and out too much and we just don't have time to get them in the game. But what you're talking about is situational football where you have personnel that will help you uh, get that first down on short yardage. And that's what the, to us, and maybe we're wrong, but that's what those guys are there for, to get those short yards that you know that Christian McCaffrey is an excellent football player, but there are some things like the short yardage like that where you have somebody else, a big back that you could bring in and get them to do it. Last last week was was horrible when first you go with Baker to try to get a third and one, and, and then you try to use McCaffrey to get a, a fourth and one. You, you just can't do that. You can't. You got the personnel there. They're standing there. They got their helmets on. They got their cleats on. Let them play. Yeah, the 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 whole concept of, well, we're not getting enough first down, so we, we don't have to rotate guys. Yeah, you do. You do. If you're going to sneak Baker from three, a, a three, third down and a yard and a half out, like, Why? Right, he ain't. He's not Ben Roethlisberger, man. Like he's not that guy. You got a guy literally standing next to you on the sideline who was brought in and paid American dollars because that's what he does. He don't use it. You know, if 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 you walked into a situation and just about any other job where the guy was using the wrong tool for the job, you look and you go, "Why? That's inefficient. It sets you up for failure." And there's no excuse for it. That's what this is. That is that is one of the problems that has gone from bringing me as a guy who started this year like, you know what, Lonzo's talked me into it. I think Rule's finishing up this year and next year is his pressure cooker. And now I'm like, no, he's deep in the pressure cooker. And one of the biggest reasons why for me is because he's not utilizing the weapons he has the way that they ought to be utilized. And there is no bigger example than us repeatedly over and over and over failing to convert third down. I told you in the last pod, we are not just dead last in the league in third down conversion rate and not just dead last in the league in time of possession as an average per game. We are the worst team at those things since those stats being re- started being recorded. 
and I can go back to last week's Arizona game and remember off the top of my head, five different third downs where I'm like, why? Why? Why, like, why was that your call? Why are you doing it that way when there are very clearly better options available? And that is why I am so maddeningly frustrated because as Lonzo pointed out to start the pod, one, two, three different plays done different. This Panthers team is real close, real close to being at the worst three and one and maybe four and up. Real close. But we keep making the same mistakes every week. Great one. We do. We do. We do. And, uh, you know, you get a taste of winning against New Orleans and you think, okay, maybe they've turned the corner and then you take a step back against Arizona. Is this week when you take another step forward and maybe stay there and maybe take another step forward after that? You pointed out how hard the schedule is going forward. If you're going to start getting better, this is the week to start doing it. This is going to be an interesting defensive battle. And um, if you're some fans may be going, you know what, I'm just done with the season. I'm looking forward to it. Let's see, let's see uh, if Baker makes the adjustments he needs to make. Let's see if McAdoo finally opens up his eyes. Let's see if all these things that need to happen happen and you can win a close one. All right. San Francisco at Carolina just after four o'clock on Sunday. On Monday, Zoe and I will be back to drop our reaction pod, which you will be able to hear once you subscribe to the Views from Mint Street podcast, available where major podcasts are found on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play. We will have that pod for you Monday afternoon, then Wednesday, then Friday again. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Niners. It's the Panthers. It's Sunday afternoon. We're back on Monday to break it down. For Lonzo Wright, so my name is Rob Brown. You're listening to the Views from Mint Street Podcast. We'll see you Monday. Keep pounding, baby!